Welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast for anyone who wants to raise other people's money for a business or property venture. Right now, there has never been more money on the planet and there has never been more opportunity. This podcast will help you put the two together. So, if you need money for your business or property proposals from banks, lenders, angels, whales or dragons, this is the podcast for you. Hi everyone and welcome to Raising Angel Fans webinar number 39 and it is why do deals fail to close? Now I've brought this one up because there seems to be statistically um, over the last few months a proliferation of deals that should have closed but did not close and I thought "Mm, this is interesting and I want to try and find out why? So, why do deals some close, some deals close, and why do deals not close? Well, I mean, the simple simple matter is that there must be something wrong with the deal. You would think. Okay. Well, I asked lots of people. I asked uh, brokers, people I deal with, other investors. You know, asked around and have come up with seven reasons why deals fail to close. And then I have put it into a percentage, so you get to see a percentage of the deals that fail to close. Um, We have some quotes here. So we've got PT, a London-based investor, saying 1% in and 2% out and an 8% coupon. Nothing under a million pounds, please. So what that means is if you want to borrow a million quid, it's going to cost you 1% in, 2% out, and 8% interest. Now, the 2% out is not a penalty. It is, how can I put it? It's pretty normal for um, some lenders, investors to say that they want a percentage. But what you've got to watch out for is, is it a percentage of the GDV or is it a percentage of the money borrowed? Sometimes in the small print, it'll say GDV, which can make it quite expensive. Now, what that will mean is that this particular investor wants to get between 15 and 20% return on his investment. That's what he's looking for. And it's structured in this particular way to see that he can achieve that. So the interest rate is not the only thing. Just be be real careful about that. Okay, next we've got the Midlands-based agent and investor. And he said, in the last webinar, I said we're looking, he said we're looking to do JVs. And he said we're still looking to do JVs with commercial deals in the Midlands and in the North. So Midlands and North of England. Okay, uh, and this is a an email that I got following a podcast episode. So uh, it says I've got five hundred thousand to invest and would like to become one of your angels. Hmm. Very interesting. I'm starting to get a lot more trickle down, a lot more feedback, a lot more activity around the podcast, which is good. And uh, yeah, all the things that they said would happen with a podcast are um, coming to fruition. So there's there's one. We've had a few more than, than that, but this is one I always say, can I get permission? I don't give away the names. I never will. I'm giving, giving you his uh, initials. That's all I'll ever give. And there you are, 500 grand to invest. So some deals done last month. Well, last month is probably there are two quiet months in the year. There are two months in the year. Last month was one of them. December is another one. So how many deals did we do last month? The answer is nothing. Nil. Nada. Zilch. Nothing. Now, that doesn't mean that there was no activity. There was a lot of activity, but a lot of people are away. A lot of people go on holiday. A lot of people switch off. Offices wind down and things get left on the back burner. Lawyers go away and so on. And then it all suddenly fires back up again at the beginning of a new month. So I'm not too bothered about that. Okay, so here we are again in every webinar and every exercise. I always put up a slide showing 16 things that you must have 
when you're preparing a proposal for an investor, if you're looking to raise money. And number one is if it's property, always include the location, the borrower, the loan amount, the valuation, the purpose, the repayment terms, the security, the interest rate, the minimum term, maximum term, notice period, drawdown, default rate, borrower, solicitor, lender, solicitor, and then the loan agreement. So it's always there. Make sure that your agreement covers all of those points. Okay, so tonight's subject, tonight's subject on the webinar is why do deals fail to close? And I said to you there were seven reasons why deals fail to close, and I'm going to go through them now and tell you what they are. But importantly, I'm going to tell you what you can do about them what you can do about them. So why is it important? Well, it's important because there are numerous identical deals out there and you need to know why some don't make it. Because in the world of property, you can have any number of commercial conversions and and they look on paper like they're all going to return a profit and they're all going to stack up. So why would they not all get funded? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is sometimes it can be small things. Now, I'm going to bring up seven things. It's not necessarily one. It could be two or even three of those seven. I've very rarely seen it be all seven. I have seen it be probably six of them, but I've very rarely seen it be all seven. Um, It just wouldn't get past us if that was the case. But when we put it to investors and when we've calibrated a deal, we've qualified a deal, we've looked at it, made sure it stacks up, we've done the Crest model, we've done everything, why does it not get funded? Where does this come in the great scheme of things? I always show this... uh, infographic which shows clarity values vision goals strategic plans actions habits and focus well this part is comes under actions habits and focus so these are the things you want to focus on why a deal fails to close and make sure that yours does not come into that category if you can okay so there are seven main reasons why deals fail to close so number one here's number one not a big enough deposit now You'll hear a lot of talk about 100% funding, and yes, 100% funding can be done. But what we've seen recently, and this is an interesting, I don't know whether it's a trend, a development, but what we've seen recently is we have done a deal stack. We've done it in such a way where we have organised, so a proposal comes to me for, say, a million pounds, and the person says, well, I don't have any money, I want to do this deal, but I don't have any money. Um, I've got, you know, in terms of the Crest model, it's got everything else, but all the cash is tied up somewhere else. And what I want to do is try and create a stack of funding. So who is putting in the mezzanine funding? Who's putting in the equity? Who's putting in the the, the loan? Um, and that is something that lenders are starting to look at in a little bit more detail. Because what we would do before is we may have an angel investor, a private investor that says, well, I would like to put up £200,000. So that means that you're looking for 80% of the money. Or you might have a private investor that put up £300,000, so you're looking for 70% of the money. That makes it much easier to go to a commercial lender and get a rate of 5 6 or 7%. Whereas you may be giving a private investor 10% or 12% or maybe even 15% in some cases. Now, what the lenders are doing is they're saying, okay, that's great, you're looking for 70 80% of the money from us, but where is the rest coming from? Now, Previously, they weren't that bothered as long as there was money in the account and as long as there were funds there. But now they're looking and saying, not in all cases, but certainly enough to to take notice. They're saying, okay, um, so you're borrowing, you've got a loan for the deposit and then you want to borrow money from us. Hmm, okay. Um, We think that that might be too exposed, so therefore we're going to pass on this one. Now, before, 
they may not have been. When I say before, six months ago, seven months ago, they may not have been all that bothered about that. They may have said, well, you know, you've got money in the account. That's great. Um, now what they're wanting to see in some cases is that deposit is turned into equity. So by all means, put the money into the company, but put it in as equity. Don't have any loan agreements so that the angel investor has skin in the game as well as you. you of course, sometimes they will do that. Sometimes they won't. But some deals fail to close because the angel investors want to do a loan and then the lenders at the commercial rates don't want you to have too many loans because they think it's overexposed. They want to see you with more skin in the game and the more skin you can put into the game, the happier they are and the more comfortable they are. Now, the irony is that they may penalise you for having uh, borrowed the money by, by upping the interest rate. And that's something I'm going to come on to in number five, which we'll come to in a minute. So, But number one is not a big enough deposit. Okay, number two. Number two is pretty straightforward. Why do deals fail to close? The word is planning. Planning has not been granted or planning has been granted, but there are too many onerous clauses or planning has been granted, but Section 75, Section 106, depending where, where you are in the country, is uh, providing too much of a burden or Planning has been granted, but the number of units that you wanted to have is lower and therefore it doesn't stack up on the back end. So there can be loads of reasons why, why planning can go through uh, and not go through. Now, we've seen a couple of cases, in fact, two that I can think of, where planning is, is kind of stalled because the person who's putting the proposal up had paid the architect, had paid all the fees, paid as much as they possibly could. Then we're hoping on planning to come through. The planning hasn't come through because they've requested or, or there's need for another site survey or there's a need for an intrusive survey or there has to be an asbestos report or something like that. And more fees are required. And the proposer is basically hamstrung because they're saying, well, I, I don't have any more money to put up for fees. So what am I going to do? Well, in that case, we would try and find you an investor. We try and find something and see if there's any way we can get around that. So, Getting round number one, not having a big enough deposit, we can uh, convert the loan into equity. Number two, planning. If you run out of money for the fees, we can have angels or investors that will put up money for planning. If it doesn't stack up because the planners will not allow the number of units, then you can appeal and there's all sorts of other ways. And that's a whole different, that would be a completely different podcast, webinar, episode to go into to that in any great detail. But in terms of planning, there's usually something that can be done. Now, I'm going to talk about later on about, um, and, well, there's another reason why deals fail to close and it's to do with the number of exits. But you can plan for one, two or even three exits. You can plan for four or five exits, actually. But planning is one of those things that can um, scupper a deal. Now, in terms of percentages, not a big enough deposit. We've seen that increase from, say, 20% of deals to now about 50% of deals. So that's quite a jump. And that's one of the reasons why it's number one mentioned on here. In terms of planning, we've seen that go from, say, 20% to 21%. So it's only a very slight increase. So there's been no dramatic upheaval in the whole planning scenario that's causing deals to fall by the wayside left, right and centre. There has been a very slight uptake, but it's been pretty consistent. The number of deals that go through is about 8 out of 10 and the number fail to get planning or there's some planning issue is usually about 2 out of 10. That's that's from our experience. Okay, so that's planning. So uh, has it been rejected? Hmm, yeah, okay, it may have been rejected or it may have been approved, but with amendments. 
and that can sometimes scupper a deal and cause a deal to fail. Because if you've got uh, an angel who's putting up money because he thinks you're going to have 50 units, if it suddenly turns around and goes, well, we're actually going to, we can only get 45, hmm, problem. And the lender is also going to look at the exit and go, well, you've not got enough to take us out or there's not enough profit in it. It doesn't stack up. You're now not going to make 20%. You're only going to make about 15 or 18%. Therefore, mm, we don't want to get involved. So uh, that can cause maybe 20% of deals to um, fail to close. Number three. Now, this number three is becoming a bigger deal. It's becoming a bigger deal because there's an awful lot of people that want to do commercial conversions, big deals, and don't have that track record of doing the smaller conversions, doing the flips, doing the refurbs, doing the, you know, the, the having a couple of buy-to-lets, then maybe going to an HMO, and then maybe a pub with a car park, and then moving their way up. There seem to be a, a number of people, and this is just down to, I suppose, the success of courses that um, are commercial conversion courses. Nothing wrong with that. Um, they're there for anyone who wants to learn. But sometimes... There's too many people that want to run before they can walk. So lack of experience is number three. Now, this has gone up from, say, 14% to about 30%. So that's more than doubled the number of cases where lack of experience has kicked in. And I've got here on the screen, it says, uh, need experience to get a job, need a job to get experience. So we, we can all relate to that probably when we go back to when we first left school or when we go back to when we first left university and we're trying to enter the job market and you would go for a job interview and they'd say, what experience have you got? Well, actually, I don't have any experience in this area and I'm not going to get any unless you give me a job. And I suppose the same can be said about commercial conversions and about flips and, and other things. But the way around that is if you've done a few buy-to-lets, if you've done a few refurbishments, that's great. You're starting to get experience there. If you've then refurbished Two houses, three houses, four houses, you're building up your experience. But if you want to go from, say, refurbing a, you know, a, bed, a two-bed flat, a one-bed flat, to suddenly doing a 22,000 square foot, you know, 750 room gargantuan HMO or cathedral, then uh, you're going to clearly fall short. So the, the way around that, or not the way around it, but the answer to that is to get in bed with somebody who has the experience. And there are lots of people around. Now, there's Facebook groups, there's commercial conversion Facebook groups. You can go onto the Facebook group. You can start posting there. You can find people there. You can talk to people there. For those of you that have attended the two-day Raising Angel Finance course, you will know that we have a couple of guys that come along uh, who've done a few deals and they say, I'm available to help. We've done commercial conversions. If you want to do one, I'm available. I'm a hired gun. You can you can hire me to hold your hand and go through the whole process. And that is one way to overcome the lack of experience. So number four, the vendor pulls out. Dun, dun, dun. Now that is known uh, as gazumping. Now I have to say that in Scotland, uh, the statistics, and I had a look at them and I checked them up, the statistics in Scotland for gazumping are less than 1%. Compare that to London, where gazumping accounts for 35.5%, almost 36% of deals. That is, 3.5 out of every 10 are getting gazumped. That is atrocious. Now, across the board, in England and Wales, it is about 18% is the national average. Now, just to put that into some kind of statistical context, that represents just over 200,000 transactions. 200,000 transactions where people have been gazumped, the vendors pulled out, um, 
for one reason or another. Now, I've got on my um, infographic there, you see a picture of uh, someone being trodden on. He's got his pound notes there, and then there's someone leaping. It looks a bit like Donald Trump, actually, leaping on the top of him, squashing him into the ground, and he's got an even bigger wad, and he's heading towards the, the vendor who's got his hand reached out for the, for the money. Um, you know, it's human nature to want to get a better price. That's that's fair enough. I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is when a deal has been shaken, you've shaken hands on a deal, you've looked someone in the eye and said, that's fine, I accept your offer. Um, and then you go off and take an offer from someone else. I just cannot understand why anyone would want to do that. If it was, you know, fantastically much bigger offer, you know, double or something, then okay, fine. But a lot of these um, gazumping are done for minuscule amounts, you know, 5,000, 10,000, you know, not even much more than that. You know, okay, you're not going to see, the vendor is never going to see the, the buyer ever again. And if someone, you know, gets bumped then they just walk off into the sunset. But how can you live with yourself knowing that, you've, you know, you've, you've wrecked someone's dreams, especially when they come along and it's late in the day? You know, if it's early in the day, fair enough. But I've heard cases where people, you know, we're going into residential now where people are sitting outside, they've got their, all their you know, worldly goods in a van, and then all of a sudden they get a phone call and says, no, it's not happening, the deal's not going ahead. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's, it shouldn't be allowed. In fact, when I'm Supreme, supreme Leader, I am going to ban that. I'm going to ban it. It's not going to be allowed. Everybody says to me, oh, the Scottish system is so much better. We really should adopt the Scottish system in England. And I'm saying, well, why don't you? And nobody can even give me an answer. Nobody says... Well, actually, we don't because of this. I mean, the answer is just apathy. That's it. You, just can't, you know, it's too. It seems like too big a job. But you know, how hard can it be? It really can't be that hard. I mean, you know, it takes it takes a slight tweak. In Scotland, you have because um, everybody says, "Oh, the system in Scotland is so much better." It's really easy. You have a offer and acceptance. There's there's the contract. I offer you, you accept. Now, offer and acceptance. We then get into the the the, the detail. And the detail comes in the form of a qualified acceptance. So if I want to buy from you, I send you a qualified acceptance. So I accept your, um, you know, you accept my price subject to the following. So I will buy your property subject to the following. And it might be planning permission pending or implied, subject to a suitable survey, subject to the payment of a deposit of X number of pounds or whatever it happens to be. So that's a qualified acceptance. Once those conditions are purified, so you, you've agreed what they, you've, you've done it, then it, it's done. The deal is done. And the lawyer will write to you and say, we now consider the bargain to be concluded. Now, that could be four weeks, five weeks before you move in, before you get the keys. And that gives you plenty of time to plan. It gives you plenty of time to organise the finances. If you have to organise the finances, it gives the lawyer plenty of time to do all these surveys and all these checks and searches and so on. And, and that's a good system. But here in England and Wales, it just seems to be left to the last minute. Everything is left to the complete last minute. Now, it's, that's, that sort of thing is starting to encroach on Scots law, much to the annoyance of some Scottish lawyers that I've been speaking to. And they're saying that the English lenders are looking to adopt their system in Scotland. Now, what that means is that, and there are no Scottish lenders left. All the lenders' mortgages are all seem to be English-based. It means that the, the, the English lenders leave it to the last minute. In other words, the, the money, if there's a mortgage, whatever it happens to be for, the money is not available and it's not sitting there and ready a couple of weeks before. They do it like the day before or even on the same day. And that just causes 
all sorts of challenges. It's one of the reasons why I always say, I've said it before, I'll say it again, try not to complete a deal on a Friday. Try not to complete a deal on a Friday at the end of a month. If you want to complete a deal, complete it on a Tuesday, a Wednesday or a Thursday, but not a Friday. Anything goes wrong, you've got the whole weekend to stew. Do it on a Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday, Bob's your uncle. You're not going to spend the weekend in a hotel because if anything goes wrong on the Thursday, you've then got the Friday morning to try and tidy things up. So vendor pulls out gazumping. That is about 18% of transactions across the UK, which is just over 200,000 residential transactions. That's a lot. But we're also seeing it creeping into commercial transactions as well. Now, in a commercial transaction, you know, okay, all's fair in love and war. It's commerce. It's business. I'm still of the opinion that if you agree to buy something or I agree to sell something, if someone comes along and offers me five or ten grand more, I'm not going to take it. Not, Not for that. I would much rather just see it all smoothly go ahead. Now, on the other hand, if somebody offers you double, you know, that, then, then you're, you know, you're talking a serious, serious difference. Then you could probably afford to go back to the original uh, purchaser and say, look, I'm sorry to muck you around, but here's five grand or ten grand towards your legal fees or towards your costs um, because I mucked you around. But just to, to sort of take five or ten grand and sneak off into the distance, um, that doesn't sit well with me. And as I said before, when I'm supreme leader, I'm going to change that system. Okay, so number five. Number five is terms too onerous. Now, what does that mean? The terms are too onerous. Okay, a commercial lender or an angel investor or an institutional investor, whatever kind of investor, they'll agree in principle. So you get a decision in principle that they're going to fund your exercise. Then they will send you some terms. Now, when you look at the small print of those terms, what it says is that they can change it at any time. And they can do that because they can. They can change it at any time. So the terms, too onerous, they could be that they've taken a look at something and they've given you an offer and said, okay, 8%, 2% out, 1% in, or whatever it happens to be, any however way they cut that particular cake. They might say they want a quantity severe to be paid, you know, £500 a month, £1,000 a month for the duration of the contract, or whatever it happens to be. They're all in the terms. But once they've done a bit of diligence, they can quite easily come back and change those terms. Say, no, we we think this is a little bit riskier than we thought. Therefore, we're going to add on a couple of percentage points or we're going to add on some other fees. And the the terms, if they are too onerous, could mean that the profit is eroded out of the deal, in which case that deal will fail to close. Now, what is the percentage? It's about 15%. 14, 15% of deals will fail to proceed because the terms are too onerous. So I do see a number of people who send me terms and say, oh, the terms are great. Look, the interest rate's only 6%. That's only one part of it. You've got to look at the overall overarching deal. What is everything when you add it up? And I've put here an anti-stress kit and I've put bang head here. Place on firm surface, follow directions in the circle, bang head here. Repeat until stress is gone or you're unconscious or and repeat is necessary because that's what it can feel like. You're banging your head against a brick flipping wall sometimes trying to get terms. And then when you do get terms, they can be changed. So not every time, like I say, 15% of the time they get changed, but it is a major, major nuisance. Okay, so that is the fifth um, in seven of why do deals fail to close. Now let's look at the next one. Number six is exit uncertainty. 
Now, what we mean by exit uncertainty is, let's take a common scenario, which is, I'm going to buy a brownfield site for X number of pounds. Tick. I'm going to get development finance and I'm going to create 25 apartments. Tick. And then I'm going to sell those apartments and um, we're going to get out. Now, in an ideal world, that's what would happen. Actually, what really happens in reality is you're not going to sell all the flats. You're going to sell half of them. You may get a flurry of activity, which which really does buoy you up. And you're like, oh, this is great. And you go to the lender and you say, look, there's so much interest in this site. It's prime location. Everybody wants to buy a flat here, a house here, a property there. We'll have no problem selling these apartments, these flats, these houses, because the demand is so high. Okay, well, the demand might be high, but there's a big difference between the demand being high and the punters putting their hands in their pocket and actually parting with cash. Because the reality of what will happen is even in high demand areas is you you are going to get the old Pareto principle rule kicking in. 80-20. 80% of them will probably sail through quite quickly and then you get 20% of the property that remains unsold longer than you thought. Now, if it remains unsold, that's usually where all your profit is tied up. That's where your that's your get out of jail card is in there. So what we're seeing that's working quite well for this about an exit uncertainty is to say, okay, we're going to build 30 flats. We plan to sell 15 of them pretty quick. And we are going to turn 15 of them into serviced apartments and they'll be cash flowing from day one because we've done a rent to rent deal with somebody over there and that's going to bring in some cash from day one. Or we're going to put them all into serviced accommodation and we're going to gradually slowly sell them off as demand comes in. So you can overcome exit uncertainty by having a number of exits. So exit number one is you might say, well, we're going to build 30 flats. We will sell 30 flats off plan to private investors. Now, you can do that. You can do that, but you have to give a discount. Discounts of 15 to 20% on the market price would be would be good. Now, there are lots of people in the progressive community. There are lots of people in property communities throughout the UK that will do that for you. And you can pretty much guarantee your return. Now, your, your return is going to be probably, well, it will be inevitably lower than you would have expected, But at the same time, at least it's a guarantee you're out. The deal is done before you even put the spade in the ground. At least you know you're out. You're out of there. So that's that's a really good way of doing it. So exit uncertainty. The other thing about exit uncertainty is, and I'm going to come on to it in the next one, but it can have political ramifications. We've heard of Section 24 and there's been changes and then there's an awful lot of rumbling where people go, you know, I think we're, I think we're heading for a downturn and ooh, it's, interest rates are going to go up. I mean, they shot up recently, you know, by all of a quarter of a percent. But, you know, that, that gloom and doom and, all, and general uncertainty can start feeding its way through. And that's why I've got, a, I've got a picture there of a guy and he's got question marks all around his head because that's one thing that uncertainty breeds. Uncertainty breeds fear. Uncertainty makes people, you know, uncertain in, this, in that they will not commit. And you want people to commit. You want them to commit either a yes or a no, but you want them to commit one way or another. So exit uncertainty probably accounts for about 18%. So it's higher, 
higher than uh, onerous terms. So exit uncertainty, you want to make sure that you've got all the exits covered. You've got um, your business plan, your proposal should at least state, here's how we plan to exit this. Here's how we plan to get out of it. Okay, so exit uncertainty. And number seven. So these are the seven main reasons why deals fail to close. And number seven is close to exit uncertainty. In fact, it rhymes with exit uncertainty. And you know the word I'm going to say is Brexit uncertainty. Brexit uncertainty. Now, this is starting to creep in. I'm hearing it in just about every second conversation that I'm having with people. They're like, oh, what about Brexit? What are we going to do about Brexit? Oh, it's all good. Some people are like, it's all going to be gloom and doom. Gloom and doom. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. And others are, ah, it's going to be a storm in a teacup. Don't worry about it. It's a load of rubbish. Um, But it's there. Now, it's gone from, say, 2%, if you was to put a figure on it, 2 to 3%, to about 16%. So it's, it's leapt up in the consciousness. And that's probably to do with the timescales and it's always to do with the news and uh, depending on which you know, news articles you read, which side of that particular fence you're on, are you a remainer, are you a, a, Brit, are you a lever, or, you know, that, that will cloud your decision. And obviously, you want to try and keep an open mind and, and, and listen to both sides of the argument. So see what the remainers are saying, see what the leavers are saying, and then make your own mind up. Now, whatever happens, um, Britain is leaving the EU. The question is, how bad is it going to be? How good is it going to be? The answer is, nobody really knows. There are lots of people that have their opinions. I'm not venturing an opinion one way or another. I just think it's quite interesting. And we live in interesting times, as the Chinese say. Uh, we always live in interesting times. And, you know, we, before Brexit, we had, what did we have? We had the referendum. And then before that, we had the Scottish referendum. And then before we had that, we had the fiscal cliff. And before we had that, we had the downturn. And before we had that, we had quantitative easing. And, you know, there's always something. There's always something. And if you look back at the charts and various indices that show you how things have gone, whether it's property or investment, whatever it is, you'll see a chart that will say property prices, then property prices now. And it's always higher. It's never a straight line. It always goes up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And what that means is when it goes up, you're going to have some people that win. and You're going to have some people that lose. When it goes down, you're going to have some people that win and some people that loses. Guess what? That is life doesn't matter whether it's property, whether you're dealing in sports cars, jewellery, gold, wine, whatever commodity you want to deal in, it goes up and down and up and down and that's just life. And anyone who says they've got it boxed off and they know exactly what they're doing, um, I think is delusional. Um, there are some people that they take a bit more risk and there are some people that are very risk averse. Uh, do they, you know, who's the winner in all that? Well, you'll hear stories of people that in the last recession, they got out and they preserved their capital. And then there's others that didn't get out. They didn't preserve their capital, but they retained a whole load of assets that were worthless. Well, guess what? Those assets are now worth something else. They're worth an awful lot more. So who's the winners? Who's the losers? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But deals are failing to close if there is, if it's an excuse It's an excuse. Give an investor, a lender, any reason to doubt something and they'll take it. Now, I did say to you that the reasons why deals fail to close, there are seven of them, seven main ones. Brexit uncertainty, as it stands on its own, is not going to be one of those. It's going to be allied to something else. 
It's going to be allied to perhaps the exit uncertainty or lack of experience. And normally what an investor, a lender or someone will do is say, well, you know, you really don't have that much experience. But they don't want to put the onus on you and go, but it's all your fault. What they'll say is, and, you know, a bit of Brexit uncertainty is not helping either. So that's how that one tends to come in and kick in. So summing up then, we have number one, not a big enough deposit, was 20%. Now it's 50%. Number two, planning was 20% of deals. Now it's 21, slightly gone up. So the big, big deposit one is, is number one because that's that's taken a bit of a jump. Number three, lack of experience. That's taken a jump as well. Um, used to be 14%. Now it's about 30%. I think that's all down to the number of uh, permitted development commercial conversions that are coming through, deals that are coming through. And, and there are more people in the marketplace that are looking to to do those deals and they don't have the experience to back it up so that's that can be again easily cured by partnering up with someone okay vendor pulls out that's remained pretty much stable at 18 percent gazumping as it's known um i'd like to call it something else but um not on a family webinar slash podcast like this terms too onerous was 12% now about 15%. Mm, yep, they're starting to creep in. There's a bit of uncertainty, a bit of interest rate rises, then the, the owner's terms can bump up a little bit. Exit uncertainty, stable. Um, you've always got to make sure that your exit is pretty certain. And then the, the B word, Brexit uncertainty, was 2%, now 16%. So is it an excuse? Is it a real thing? Time will tell. Time will tell. Okay, but who is lending right now? There's a lot of people that are lending out there right now. So number one, West Street Capital, Matt Lenzi, still lending. Go to weststreetcapital.co.uk. There's an application form there. Fill in that application form, put your application in there. Any applications that come to me will go past Matt anyway. We'll always take a look at them and we'll always see if that's something that we can do before we start looking elsewhere. Uh, BIG Property, Mark Bond, they are doing JVs. You need to come through us for that because we have to qualify the proposal, but uh, they will do joint ventures. Um, Phil Ellis, Bench Capital, again, they'll do joint ventures, but we know what the parameters are. We know what they'll stand and what they won't stand for. So you can approach them direct, but you'll probably get directed to someone else or you'll be directed to submit a proposal direct to them. Don't be surprised if you don't hear from them unless you come through us or unless you come through West Street Capital. The chances are that Bench and BIG Property are not going to talk to you. Um, Elysium, same, loans and equity, they will do that. Um, He is abroad at the moment. Um, dealing with some uh, investors in the Far East, but has done some, yeah, very good deals. Uh, SE Capital, Tom Barry, and now that is, SE is all types, really. Yeah, they'll do development finance, they'll do a, they'll purchase brownfield sites, they'll purchase uh, land that will submit to planning. So if you've got a planning uplift, they'll take a look at that. And we've got a new angel investor that came in as a result of the podcast. Thank you very much, saying, uh, I want to become an angel. Um, Interestingly, the website is called becomeanangel.com to learn all about that. But we've said, go away, get some training, find out what it's all about. Go to a masterclass. Make sure that you upgrade your own skills. Don't just lend money out willy-nilly. And if you've only got 500000 to invest, we would advise you putting maybe 100000 into something. See how it goes and, and take it from there. Okay, so the next webinar in this series is going to be webinar number 40, number 40, and we are going to look at the economic clock. Where are we now and why it matters? So the economic clock. So if you want to Google economic clock, search for images, you will see a clock that comes up and it will tell you certain things that will happen. And it's been stunningly accurate for hundreds and hundreds of years. But 
the big question on everyone's lips is, where are we now? Where are we now? I'll tell you on the next webinar. I've been Ray McLennan. You've been great. Thank you very much. And goodbye. Thank you for listening to the How to Raise Money podcast. It's made for people who want to raise money as debt or investment equity for their business or property proposal or empire. The website has all the useful links and underlying research, and you can get downloads of the checklists and other useful information. You can find all that at howtoraisemoney.co.uk. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Ray underscore McLennan and Nigel Best at Positive Nigel. You can check the blog at raisingangelfinance.blogspot.co.uk. See you next time, where we can show you how to raise money. There is abundance. There is money enough for everyone on the planet. The question is, who has yours?